Don't worry, I'll do my very best to get this job that I so crave. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Fan Zone Debate Teams Edition. Uh, we got a very exciting match for you today. A number one contenders match to go up and face the current team's champions, House of Night Pain, Nico and Ryan. Uh, so uh, this is going to be very interesting. Uh, these teams have kind of risen uh, in this debut circle that we've had going on uh to get to this point uh we have your debate sucks cody and kirk going up against apple teenies and merlot caleb and caleb brian you are here to judge this one with me uh you've been here for most of the matches um how are you doing sir and what do you think of this matchup uh, you know, I'm doing good. I'm excited to see this. As we've seen all season, uh, this is a format that can either show how well people can work together and it's a well-oiled machine, or it can be a chaotic clusterfuck. We're here to see which one it is tonight. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn, you are also here. You've been here for quite a few of these as well. How are you feeling about the matchup? Uh, who do you got in this one? Uh, yeah, I'm probably going to go with your debate sucks. Uh, they had a pretty impressive win against Hollywood Video. Um, and then we had um, Merlot and Appletini's. They were going up against, uh, I believe, people in my faction, the New British Empire. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, should be a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start by uh, bringing in the uh, lower-ranked team. Your debate sucks. Guys, uh, welcome. Are you excited for the matchup? Uh, you're taking on uh, Appletini's and Merlot tonight. Um, what do you think about playing Caleb and Caleb? Um. I think I don't think much of them, honestly. Um, they barely were able to afford Apple Teenies or Merlot, and then they were barely legal to even get it. Um, I think they're going to be very bad. They're going to like fight with each other instead of us. Um, yeah, and then that champion team is a joke. So I can't wait to beat them next. How are you feeling, Kirk? Yeah. Um, Caleb, Caleb, uh, it's our first time, I think, debating them as a team. I think we've done it in teams yet. Uh, but it's going to be a good matchup. Yeah, like you said, uh, it's a matter of how are they going to keep it together. You know, you and I know how to how to play that game. How are they going to handle it? I don't know. Um, Jacoby Bancroft hasn't recovered from all the stuff Coho said to him when they played, insert name here. Um, I know he's, I think he's in therapy. It's It's been a painful time for him. But, you know, he's getting over it, and we're going to avenge Jacoby here tonight. All right. Yeah. Well, guys, I look forward to seeing you in the ring. We're going to bring in uh, the other team, Apple Teenies and Merlot, the higher ranked team here tonight. Uh, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Uh, you're back for another match. If you yep. win this, you will be going to play for the title. Do you think you have what it takes? Absolutely not, Cotton. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, this is how the show is going to work. Uh, I am going to uh, read off the question uh, based off of the category that the players drafted uh, before game time. Uh, so uh, they are going to debate that question before your very souls. So one player will open the argument uh, for each team. Then there will be a free-form debate between the two teams. Uh, then there will be a closing from the other player who did not open the question. At the end of the debate, Brooklyn, Brian, and I will write on our handy-dandy boards who we think won that question. Um, best two out of three wins the point, and the first person, or the first team, rather, to uh, get to three points will be the winner of the match. So without further ado, let's get into it. 
we are going to get started, guys. Um, your first question is going to be from the category of Disney. This was drafted by Appletinis and Merlot. The question is, which Pirates of the Caribbean character is the most underutilized? So Appletinis and Merlot, you guys drafted this. Who will be opening the argument for you on this? Caleb Bowman. Caleb Bowman. All right. And who will be opening uh, for uh, – Cody, you will be opening for your debate sucks? Okay. So uh, we are going to start with Caleb Boatman for his one-minute opening. Caleb, you have one minute when you start talking. Okay, so uh, our pick for uh, the Pirates character is Tia Dalma. Uh, now, Tia Dalma is a character who should have been one of the best Pirates characters of all time. This could have been one of the most interesting Pirates characters. The problem was she was sidelined to be a MacGuffin. She eventually just turned into a plot device. There is so much more we could have seen from her arc and from her character and actually give us some more development from her as a character, but everything is given to us in exposition by other characters. We don't really get anything from her. We don't get more from her character, and really we should actually we should have actually gotten more from her as a character, seeing what she can actually do, but she's just kind of sidelined in At World's End uh, to just kind of be a MacGuffin, essentially. She doesn't really get to actually be a character. She's just there to move the narrative along in the film, and that's kind of the biggest problem with Tia Dalma. Okay. Ending about 10 seconds early, we will bring in Mr. Newberry for the opening for Your Debate Sucks. You have one minute when you start talking. Listen, the Pirates do a lot of things that are terrible throughout this entire uh, franchise. One thing they don't do bad is villains. Except when they do the dead men tell no tales. They take an Academy Award winning actor of uh, for Captain Salazar, Javier Bardem, and put him in CGI, make him seem like this really intimidating character. He comes in, blood spewing out of his mouth. He says, death, bring me Captain Jack. You know what he does? Fucking nothing. Nothing. He appears, his ship tries to eat stuff. He has even the coolest stuff, like uh, uh, zombie sharks basically coming after Jack, but, and he could run on water. But he's the easiest to take down the entire time. I'm used to a franchise like Barbosa in the first one, setting up even his has a turn. Uh, Davy Jones, one of the best villains in any movie. And basically, he's able to go through multiple movies. This one, easy to be taken out just like that. No, no battle, no whatever. He's the worst utilized character. Time. Okay. Uh, so we will bring in the rest of the teams. Uh, gentlemen, remember, even back and forth between you guys, uh, if somebody starts talking for too long, I'm going to come in uh, and tell you to shush your face. Caleb Coho, you get to start this mm. um, and have fun. So the thing with Captain Salazar is there's never much potential to begin with because he's a clone of davy jones he's just hey we have no interest in anything else he's as bad as blackbeard they already fucked up villains earlier there's nothing special about him in the trailer you could tell from the trailer salazar was going to be a bad bad guy there were no expectations for him he literally looks like davy jones he sounds like davy jones and his character is treated just like what davy jones to the point where they bring back davy jones at the end of the movie whereas with tia dalma tia dalma actually is introduced in dead man's chest with a lot of promise as being like she has a whole world around her a whole mythology a whole thing with jack that she could explore that she has some history and backstory but in that world's end they throw that away to make her a giant crab monstrous and then a and then that's basically all she does is serve as 
tortured backstory for Davy Jones, which doesn't really work. Kevin, I disagree with you because you said they had the, you know, they, they set up the mythology, they set up the world, this world behind her. Okay. They, you know, if you didn't like the resolution of that, that's fine, but you got it. You got the resolution of that. Um, you can say a lot of things about her. She's, she definitely wasn't sidelined. She had a big point. She moved a lot of things along in, in a uh, dead man's chest. Uh, World's End, she was there. She's a love interest of Davy Jones. We see her relationship with her. We see her. She had, it's not just one sided. We see her feelings towards Davy Jones as well. Um, and then she becomes the giant, you know, the, the, the big, the big bad at the end. She's the third act. Is she's literally a giant monster on screen. You couldn't be more utilized than that. I mean, if you didn't okay. like the resolution of her character, that's fine, but you can't say she was underutilized. She doesn't. She's not the big bad of that movie. It's like the biggest thing. You say she's the big bad. She is absolutely not the big bad. She turns into a monster, yes. But there's no actual arc. That's not being the big bad. Just someone being a monster does not make them the big bad. Uh, again, you say that, oh, we got some stuff with her and Davy Jones. No, that's all from Davy Jones. And that's nothing from her. And that's all from Davy Jones. And, and ultimately, that's the thing is that, Tia Dalma is just a pawn in everyone else's game, really. She doesn't actually get to be utilized as herself. She's just utilized by everyone else. And the film isn't able to actually take advantage of everything, anything she's able to be. Yeah, what a joke. You say she's not the big bad. Yes, she turns into a big giant monster, turns into a bunch of crabs, and creates that storm at the end because that's what Davy Jones literally runs her name and then falls into the maelstrom with her. That's basically how everybody is how that movie ends. Your whole thing is your character would just travel to the end of the world to bring Captain Jack back. She has this mythology around her, this cool stuff. Then you find later that she was in love with Davy Jones, betrayed by Davy Jones, and the moment she's set free by him, she chooses to not pick up a ship and throw it into the world because she's the big giant bad. That's the perfect thing for her to do. And what a cop-out to say, oh, Captain Zalazar was just a Davy Jones ripoff. Well, guess what? That means underutilized because you just copied the same damn character and put it on screen, and that's why it's a bad one. You had so many different things. Davy Jones had the Kraken, but this had like zombie sharks bringing things back to the dead. Uh, a, sh a ship that basically eats things. All these things could have been used and you use nothing. You set it up at the very beginning and then every time Captain Jack goes around, he pisses his pants and can't do anything. Like what? Underutilized throughout the entire movie. So to jump in and clarify, Calypso is definitely not the big bad of three. Beckett is. And that's why it sucks because Calypso grows into a giant woman because she is used by a curse to then turn into nothing. That is exactly it. She just disappears. That's the thing is when they set up her mythology, her mythology is underutilized, like you want to say, because they don't go anywhere with it except that, oh, I'm just now used by everyone. She is an expositionary machine with a whole bunch of powers and abilities that we have seen that she could probably have into. And then we don't explore those, which is exactly the point underutilized we have seen that she has all these gadgets gas gadgets gadgets and all that shit uh in her uh shack that she can use uh, and all we've seen really is a jar of dirt and all sorts of shit and then she gets turned into a fucking cloud because whatever but you also just admitted that salazar cody is a bad character because you said that he is a copy paste of davy jones which instantly shows you there's nothing to do with him that's the thing. There's nothing to do with them from the beginning. You admitted it. So how can you underutilize something that has nothing to go with in the beginning? You have a copy-paste clone of something else, which means the potential is instantly lowered because we've seen it already. That's the issue. I'd like to put it out to the judges that um, the question is, who's the most underutilized villain? 
uh, Boatman and Coho in their last two statements use the phrase she is used or she is utilized three or four times. So obviously she's being used, she's being utilized, just not in the way they like. You say, oh, well, Salazar is not a good character. He did, they just waste them. He's poorly written. Maybe that's what Calypso is too. Maybe she's just not that great a character as you guys think she are or that you want her to be. That doesn't mean she wasn't used in the movie. They squeeze every ounce of juice they can get out of her in that film. Salazar, he's he, he's set up like he said, he's got some awesome powers, awesome abilities, and they don't do anything with it. He is, okay, if you want to say Calypso's not the big, by the way, Cody, uh, uh, Boatman, you don't need an arc to be the bad guy. That's not a bad guy thing. You don't need an arc. She's the she's a she's a villain. She's a bad guy in it. Uh, Salazar, they set they set him up as this like cool villain, and they didn't do anything with it. They 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 show you everything. The, the third movie gives you everything Teodoma has to offer. We're left wanting with Salazar. You Cody just admitted that Salazar is a copy paste. No, he said, "Oh yeah, if he's copy paste, he's a bad character. That means he doesn't utilize." No, if it's a bad character, he's not underutilized because ultimately, you admit he's a bad character. If we utilize him more, he's still a bad character. Just getting more crap just means you have more crap. That doesn't mean that. Oh yes, we should add more of this. No, it's a bad base. Salazar is a bad base. What you guys are basically pitching is. Give us a good villain. You're not saying that Salazar could have been that good villain because ultimately you are pitching just completely changing Salazar in general. Ultimately, Salazar was never going to be a good villain based on what was there. Tia Dalma could have been better based on what was there. That's the thing is she was underutilized because if we had more screen time for Tia Dalma, that would work. I mean, we're sitting here saying that, oh, yes, guess what? You can cling to the words I said, the copy and paste of David Jones. Well, guess what? If you're going to copy and you're paste after any character, that's a pretty damn good one to copy. And at the end of the day, just because a bad character doesn't mean they weren't utilized well. Like, you guys are <laughs> – it's a character that could have been so awesome and been better than David Jones and have that vengeful side but doesn't do it at all. She literally is such an integral part of the third one that you guys are just totally missing past. All the dead people coming to the other side, she's able... You can say exposition all you want, but guess what? In Pirates movies, you need fucking exposition because guess what? Unless you want to read the 45-page wiki article to explain what the fuck's going on in those movies, those convoluted messes, she's the best thing for those movies because she carries everything through. She brings Captain Jack back. She gets through the, uh, the, the locker. She gets him out of the locker. She gets him back on the side. All these things end up happening, and then she creates the one thing that everybody likes from World's Edge is the entire massive storm at the end, and takes and then Calypso, and then David Jones dies in it. Her arc is complete. Salazar wasted throughout, and he's a fantastic actor that didn't get a chance to shine as a great actor. We're gonna stop it there. Um, so Coho, or no, I'm sorry, Coho will go last. So yeah, we okay. are going to let Kirk begin the closings uh for uh your debate sucks kirk you have uh one minute to close your argument when you start talking it's amusing to me that the caleb's are asking for more screen time for tia domo because she has plenty of screen time she's given plenty to do in that movie she you see her all day we, we get everything we can get out of her they say oh well, she had a bunch of stuff set up that she could have done cool that she could have done school stuff and didn't. You can see that's what we're saying about Salazar. Salazar had had all these abilities and powers that didn't go anywhere. It fell flat. Tia Domo, just because you didn't like how she was used, doesn't mean she was used. You guys have yourselves. She was utilized as exposition. She was utilized as a love interest. She was utilized as the big uh tempest at the end. She was utilized 
for what she was there for. If you you don't like it, you wanted more. That's a different argument. Is she is she if you want to say she's poorly written or she, you know she wasn't uh, she wasn't written well in the third movie? That's fine. But she was used to the most of the abilities of what they gave that character on the screen. Salazar had fall flat. Salazar could have been a multi movie multi arc villain, the same as Davy Jones. Uh, but they just wasted him uh, on a, in a in a in a, ba- in a bad way. Um, he, a lot of potential wasted. Tiadomo, we got everything we could. Fine. Okay, so then we're going to bring in Coho for the closing for Apple Teenies and Merlot. You have one minute, sir, when you start talking. The problem that you keep forcing us into with Tiadomo is you keep saying she's used. She's not used well, and that's the thing. The thing is, she is a passive observer of all these things when she is set up to be an active participant. She has abilities, she has skills, and she has way more to offer to those movies than sitting there and watching the action happen while being on the boat while other people do all the things that we expect her to do. That's what we're arguing. Whereas with Salazar, he can't do anything that would be any cooler than any other movie. I'm sorry. He can't do anything different from Dead Man's Chest. He can't give me anything new. And at the end of the day, what he does is exactly what he had the destined potential to be. He is a slapstick, copy-paste, ghost Disney pirate villain who fulfills the purpose of chasing Jack across the ocean to the Trident of Poseidon in a shitty plot where he does kill Barbosa. I'm sorry, he killed Barbosa. So at the end of the day, he does something worthwhile. So Salazar, at the end of the day, is a copy-paste villain with nothing to add to your franchise, whereas Tiadama could have been, should have been the heart of the series with the ability to be the coolest action character in the series. Okay. Um, so we will bring in the judges... And then we will bring in the teams. I think I'm going to make a random rule here uh, that the teams have to uh, stay muted during the rulings. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a rule that I'm creating at this moment. Uh, okay. Um, so I should probably. Okay. What the hell is happening? Oh, oh, well, I mean, I get where you're going. Still's not working. Whoever's doing it. Um, there we go. Uh, okay. I actually like that. That's cool. Um, okay. So thank you, Nick. <laughs> I mean, mysterious man. Uh, so, <laughs> um, this was, this was good. Uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of team debates in my time, but this one uh, was a good one to start this contender match with. Um, This is weird because ultimately I think that Caleb and Caleb understood the assignment more when it came to what the word underutilized meant. But weirdly enough, I still went with YDS because I thought that their takedown of Tia Dalma being utilized in a way that actually worked, it just wasn't the way they want it to work, I think was really strong. And I think there wasn't much of a takedown for Salazar other than the... um, the he's a copy and paste villain. Even if that did come out of Cody's mouth, I think that it wasn't quite enough based on all the other stuff that I got from uh, YDS. So uh, it was a, it was weird in that way, but that's how I feel. Brian, we'll go to you next. Um, 
Hang on a second. <laughs> okay. Trying to get the team names right? No, I'm trying to get the argument in my head. Um, okay, no, I got, I got it right. I swear I wrote down the wrong one. I was trying to get the argument straight in my head. Um, no, okay, so you're right. This was a, this was a great debate. I, uh, it's one of those where both sides, honestly, all the way up through the closing statements, I was still not sure which way I was going to go with it. Um, it came down for me. Um, I think that, well, YDS, I think they did uh, a good job of talking about how Tia Dama was utilized over two movies and they listed off all the kinds of things that she did and how she, you know, uh, brought brought Jack back and all the different things that she did. Um, whereas uh, in their movie, um, their character was there for the one movie and he didn't really have any impact. He didn't really do much of anything. He was a cool character, but it was not it. Um, so I ended up actually voting for YDS um, for that reason. Okay, Brooklyn, your vote doesn't count, but where would you have gone and why? Uh, also, would have went with your debate sucks. Uh, if Cody has taught us anything, is that he is the he is the he is the commander um, in those free form debates, uh, and he kept um, Alpatini and Rolo on their back foot for uh, for a lot of it. Okay, so we are going to move on to the next question in this round. Uh, the question is going to be from a category drafted by uh, your debate sucks in the category of directors. Uh, the question is. Which Martin Scorsese movie has the best plot? Uh, so who will be opening this for your debate sucks? Cody will be, again. Okay, so just so you know, Kirk will have to open the following two questions, mm -hmm. okay? And who will be opening for um, Appletini's and Noah? Caleb Coho will be, okay. Um, so we are going to start with Mr. Newberry. Uh, Cody, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Okay, so me and Kirk decided to go with with the plot based the best plot movie in a Scorsese thing. We went with Cape Fear. Basically, is it a most complex uh, um, plot? No, this is standard. Basically, guy uh, gets him thrown in jail. Basically, he has to come out of it, um, and he comes and haunts basically the family. That's basically what happens the entire movie, um, and it does a great revenge kind of hunt down thriller the entire way. Um, and that's basically where we're going to go with. I don't need to talk much about the plot, but that's the most simple plot that you basically do. He doesn't go convoluted. He doesn't jump around. He doesn't do anything extra to, to make the movie not, uh, too inflated. So yeah. Cape Fear. Okay. Ending about 15 seconds early. We will bring in Mr. Coho for the opening for Avaltini's and Merlot. You have one minute. The best plot, and the best kind of plot, is the one that Scorsese utilizes the best, which is one that is so universal and entertaining to watch through and through. And that comes to The Departed. The Departed gives you two diametrically opposed people that you can connect to, that you can root for, and watch them fight against each other throughout the entire thing. I think the chess game that we see in The Departed is one of the most well-constructed, well-thought-out crime drama thrillers in the history of the genre and in the history of Scorsese's career. The way he is able to maneuver a bunch of moving parts and have make them all clear, concise, and make sense through and through is very important, very impressive, and very well balanced. And I think that comes down to the way he maneuvers the police force, the way he maneuvers uh, Jack Nicholson and his mafia, and the way that the two rats uh, connect to each other and how they are so similar and different throughout 
the plot. And I think that's what makes this plot the strongest is the way it's able to strengthen every part. The more you look at each individual piece. Time. Okay. Uh, so we will bring in the rest of the players. Um, and we are going to just move you over I there. I don't wear douche glasses. So. Uh, we are going to start on this one uh, with, with Kirk. Uh, Kirk, you are going to kick this one off for us. Uh, so have fun. The beauty of the plot of Cape Fear is that it's very simple and not in a way that it's simplistic. It's just simple enough where you can build a very uh, layered and complex story off the bare bones of a plot. It's a, it, at its heart, it's a revenge story. Uh, you have a uh, prisoner who's been um, not necessarily wrongfully accused, but he's been wronged by his lawyer. And um, he is the thing about this is he's right in his in his uh, in his anger and his rage and his quest for revenge. Um, obviously, we don't side with that character, um, but the fact that um, he has that justification for what he does adds so much to that plot and just takes that revenge story and adds so many more layers to it. So, uh, Cape Fear is a beautifully told story. Um, like I said, you don't. There's not a lot of bells and whistles, but you don't need that. You just need that basic story. You let the the, the story do what it does. You let the characters do what they do. Um, Departed is, it's it's muddled. It's a it, you call it a chess match. It's 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 a che it's checkers, and it's and it's it's not a good checkers match. That there's a lot of it's it gets sloppy. Uh, characters we write out. Cody's gonna uh, on his turn. We'll talk more about this, but uh, the the they get sloppy with characters and what they do with them. And Universal, I mean. I think Cape Fear is at its core a more universal story than uh, The Departed is uh, with the, the quest for revenge and justice than just two people who are ratting on their respective organizations. You fully admit that Cape Fear's greatness doesn't come from the plot. The plot, you admit, is incredibly bare bones. It's the basic. It's what Scorsese does with that incredibly basic bare bones plot that you said makes it work. You're arguing the characters more than you are arguing the actual plot. And that's the thing, because Cape Fear is a plot that we've seen done time and time and time and time again. The Departed, if I describe The Departed to you, it sounds Cool. You have an undercover cop in the mafia trying to weed out a rat in the police force, and both of them are looking for each other. That's the plot of The Departed, and that sounds awesome. You've got two opposing forces up against each other. The Departed sounds cool. Cape Fear, we've seen it a million times. Like you said, it's a bare-bones plot. It's simplistic because the plot is not what is great about Cape Fear. Gentlemen of the jury, they are oh, painting a picture of the departed that is not the departed. It's a rat within a rat, but we're talking about a love triangle, 17 FBI informants, microprocessors, a cop that tells you to fuck himself, and everybody's supposed to follow along with this entire plot. Also with a, um, a police captain that's maybe in with them, maybe not with them, tail. This movie is so convoluted, you don't know who's with who at the end. And they, they still they will pitch it that that's the way the plot's supposed to be. You're supposed to question everybody at every turn. But guess what? The movie does not do at any point give you any indication any of these people are doing any of those things. You have Leo. You have Damon. Those are the two you know. Everybody else is just, oh, let's turn them this way. Let's turn them that way just to make it interesting. Listen, Cade Fear, you're right. The simplistic plot 
and he's talking about character base, that's 100% true. But the plot is able to let the characters work in this classic revenge story. You can take it aside that we've seen millions of revenge stories, but the way that uh, Max Cady is able to go into that character from that plot and basically go into the most despicable ways possible where he could have leaned off, could have took out the character right away, but he's able to psychological warfare everybody. That's what makes that movie impressive. Once again, that well, in the case of what is the best plot, you've already s just shot your own argument in the back of the head by saying, once again, that plot is not special. And while there's a bunch of different things in that plot, what is the first words you said after saying, oh, and the plot allows, the plot allows Max Cady to take center stage. And that's the issue. Max Cady's more interesting than the rest of your movie. That's, the, that's not the plot, that's the character. When it comes to The Departed, I don't think you two have ever watched The Departed because if you think the police or the mafia or any of them are in any different place that they're supposed to be, then you've not watched The Departed. Queenan is very clearly on the side of the FBI. If you don't know that, then you're not watching the movie. Everywhere in this movie, when you look at it, it is very easy to keep track of who is doing what and where when they want you to. It's very clear that Damon and DiCaprio are the two that you need to follow, and you know that Nicholson's bad, you know that Queenan's bad. They're the heads of the good and the, and the bad. You know who's in charge of what. Microprocessors are a MacGuffin. If you're hung up on microprocessors, I don't know what to tell you. You shouldn't be watching adult movies, and you can go back to your children's room with Cape Fear. Uh, at the end of the day, Cape Fear, basic, boring, nothing interesting except for Max Cady. Robert De Niro's your impressive shit. The Departed won Best Picture for a reason. That plot won Best Adaptive Screenplay, Best Picture, because it is the most entertaining, engaging, and thrilling plot that Scorsese has ever put to film I rest my case, ladies and gentlemen. My turn? My turn, right? Sure, Grandpa. Yeah, sure. Uh, there's a reason Departed won the uh, uh, won Best Picture at all those Oscars. Because Scorsese didn't have an Oscar yet, and they were afraid he was going to die soon. And so I think 619 Mafia, or whoever it was, said they'd had one more than him the year before. They were embarrassed. That's why that movie won all those Oscars. Um, the plot is simple. It's not simplistic. Yeah, you want a plot. That's the when you think about your favorite movies, the best movies, where you think, oh wow, the plot of that movie was awesome. You think about character, you think about siege, you think about story. You want your plot that gets out of the way. You don't want a completely muddled like, oh, this happened, this happened. The, the plot of the part is a mess. Yeah, it sounds cool when you break it down to those two sentences. So does ours. A wrong convict gets out and takes revenge on his lawyer. That is that's a, that sounds just as cool as yours does. My but my, my my movie doesn't completely screw it up. The Departed screws that up so bad, makes a complete total mess of it. Where the part we're like, oh my god, okay, we get it. They're rats. There's a rat at the end. Yeah, we we, we understand. They're they're rats. They're, they're they're all whatever. Yeah, it's a mess. It's not fun. It's too long. It's over long and over the plot because of the plot because of all the things they have to try. They they squeeze in there. The movie is over long. It gets bored at the end, and it, you lose interest. Mine is not. Our movie is nice and has a very nice tight plot, and lets and it and it lets the characters do their thing. You're arguing everything but the plot. You're arguing directing, you're arguing characters, you're arguing uh, the minutia of the little details. You're not arguing the actual plot of the movie because you just admitted that, yeah, our plot sounds great on paper. You admitted that and you're talking about the little details. All your flaws that you're flinging at us are the little things that are not the plot. You're arguing directing and also... Adapted screenplay didn't go to Scorsese, so your argument about the Oscars is BS there, just in case you were wondering. Again, you guys, I don't know if you guys know what a plot is. The plot is the actual general story of the film. You guys are talking about all these little details. Oh, yes, the little microchips know this. No, we're talking about the actual plot. And as you guys admitted, we've seen your bare bones plot 
over and over and over again. And it's there not to actually be the plot, but to do everything else. It's about what the stuff that's not the plot is what makes Cape Fear great, not the plot. The plot of Departed is essential to making that movie great. We're going to wrap this up right here. Oh, I don't get to close two, two versus I, I one. Didn't, I didn't last time. So so we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Uh, so um, Kirk and Boatman are closing on this one, I believe. Correct? Mm-hmm. So Boatman, uh, you get to start the closing for Apple Teenies and Merlot. Uh, you have one minute when you start talking. Again, opposing forces. The Departed, at its bare bones level, is about you have the cop undercover in the mafia, and you have the mafia informant undercover in the police force, and they're both trying to get the other out. That is such a cool-sounding plot. It's an awesome story, and it's something we don't really see in other things. Like, that's the thing, is Cape Fear ultimately is the most basic we've seen it a million times before yep the the prisoners looking out for revenge because that's what prisoners do when their lawyer screws them they get out and they go for revenge we've seen that trope a million and kajillion times before ultimately you have admitted it you've given us our argument that what makes cape fear great is not its plot it's not its plot. What makes Departed great is its plot. Okay. Uh, Kirk, we're going to bring you in for your closing for Your Debate Sucks. One minute when you start talking. It's funny that Bateman defined plot as the most basic bare-bones structures of the movie and then attacked us for focusing on the basic bare-bones structure of our movie and what it is. And when you break it down, ours is more interesting. Departed? Yeah, it sounds cool. It's a gimmick. And, you know, Coho accused us of being children for, for liking Cape Fear. Uh, it, the, the, the gimmick for Departed is much more childlike and simple than the, the, the storyline you get from, the, from Cape Fear. Cape Fear at its boat is a story of revenge, of, justify, of, of an evil man seeking justified revenge. The ends not justifying the means or vice versa, however you want to say that. But that's what that story is. It's you want to say it's a lawyer is that's what a lawyer and a criminal does. Well, when there's when there's rats in the in the mafia and there's rats in the uh, police force, they go look for them too. That's all they do. That's what happens. That's what they do. So it's not that big a deal. Their plot's a gimmick. Ours actually has a lot of meat to it. Okay. Oh, this is gonna be organizing. This is always gonna be a disaster. Oh, well, that actually wasn't that bad. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Are we good, judges? Uh, All right, Brooklyn, we're going to start with you. Okay. Um, I went with Appletini's and Merlot. Um, I think that I think that they were able to balance it 
they had the attack the attack of of, of Cape of Cape Fear, um, and then yeah, it was just weird. With your debate sucks. I I needed just a little bit more. Like that bare bone structure is great, but I need some like I need some key like, detail or some scenes, and I just didn't quite get that. Okay, uh, I also went with Apple Teenies and Merlot. Um, I thought that um, basically at the end, Boatman's closing and Coho's uh, closing were some of or opening were were some of the some of the best I've seen in fan zone teams. Um, they really were able to channel like, while yes, we get what we're you're going for with Kate Fear of it being. Um, like a cool story and behind Scorsese, it's awesome. But the bare bones plot, if you look at both side to side, there's one that sounds just way more interesting than the other. One has been done a lot and one hasn't been done a lot. And that one for me, uh, Brian, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone and why? Um, I, I went with Apple Genies and Merlot. Um, I thought it was actually over fairly early. I think that, uh, your debate sucks kind of shot themselves in the foot early um and and bowman picked up on it and ran with it uh when he, they talked about you know ours is really kind of a simple it's a bare bones plot what makes it special is what the director does with it what the characters go with it and things like that and it's like i i thought they really slammed into that pretty well okay so um we are tied one to one as we get into the next question this question uh, was drafted by um, Apple TVs and Merlot in the category of biopics. The question is, what real-life person should Aaron Sorkin write his next film about? Um, so who is going to be opening this for Apple TVs and Merlot? I will. And Kirk, you have to open this one for your team. So um, we are going to start with Coho. Coho, you have one minute to open this argument when you start talking. When Aaron Sorkin is at his best, he's writing about people that you probably have not heard of much and also are not necessarily great people. And he also does his best work in the realm of politics and most specifically the minutia of the details of the stuff that you don't really care about. It, look at Moneyball, the behind the scenes of baseball. Who gives a shit except for like Cody? Uh, he does that well. Uh, the social network, the creating of an app. He does that well. John Edwards is the person he should do next. Covering the election cycle and covering the backdoor politics of running your campaign on a scandal. Uh, if you don't know who John Edwards is, he is the vice presidential candidate to John Kerry in the 2006 presidential election. Uh, and he uh, was found having several extramarital affairs on his wife who had cancer, uh, who, which makes him an awful human being and a very interesting protagonist in the realm of politics. Uh, you never sleep with someone when you're running for election. And that's the biggest rule. I want to see what Sorkin does with a character like Mark Zuckerberg was, an irredeemable bad person in his best area, politics. Time. Can I just say you probably shouldn't sleep with anyone that's not your wife in general? That's what, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, but I'm just saying that's the big thing in politics. <laughs> no, I, was, I get what you're saying. I just, I couldn't resist. I thought it was funny. Uh, okay, so then Kirk, uh, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Um, when you think about Aaron Sorkin, uh, you think about his 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 style, his politics. The the person who embodies that most is Barack Obama. Uh, so that's who we picked for the uh, the next Aaron Sorkin biopic. Uh, like I said, he is just the 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 ideal uh, Sorkin character in a lot of ways. If you look at a lot of his political writings, and I agree with Coho, he's 100 right. Uh, it's uh, he's at his best when he's doing politics, when he's doing specifically White House stuff, um, which is what he would be doing with Obama, obviously. Um, I think it is time, we think in this time of uh, age of just decisive politics, of anger, 
of you know putting out the worst part of everybody, finding a positive character uh, that a lot of people love, a lot of people don't like, but putting a spit on him where you know the people who don't like the people who like him are going to love it. The people who don't like him might learn to see a different side of him, learn learn to learn to love him. Um, so I think a positive uh, perspective is what's needed right now, and uh, would be the best character. And we've seen Sorka do that with literal president characters. Um, so let him do it with real life character as well. Okay, so. Um, we will bring in the rest of the teams. Uh, we are going to kick this one off with Mr. Boatman. Um, so, Boatman, uh, you can get us started and have fun. Sorkin might be able to do positive president characters in TV, but it does not translate as well to film. You look at the American president. Ultimately, Shepard isn't that complex of a character. And ultimately, if you're going to have Obama be the focus of your biopic, it's ultimately just not going to amount to a very interesting movie. It's going to be very schmaltzy and speechy, but ultimately there's not really that much interesting that you can go for. If you want Sorkin's Obama, guess what? The 2008 presidential Democratic primary, which ultimately is where you're going to get a lot of intrigue with John Edwards, you know who won that primary? A little guy by the name of Barack Obama. So ultimately, we get Sorkin's Obama, but he's not the focus. So we still get him, but we don't have the, honestly, like the boring lack of conflict that your Obama movie has. Uh, I am glad you don't know a lot about politics. And guess what? I, the great thing about selling a movie, you have to sell a movie. And I can't wait to see John John Edwards as your selling point of a movie. I can't wait for people to be like, yep, going to buy that ticket. Listen, uh, you're telling about American president. Really good choice. That's a long time ago. He's been on a run of movies that he's done really well since. And uh, the intrigue of Obama. How about the night where he has to send in the people to uh, to take out bin Laden? Interesting points. You can basically travel through three different parts. I don't think Sorkin's ever did that. Oh, wait, another movie he did that where he focused on three different individual points in someone's life. A movie that you guys obsess over, Steve Jobs. You can say that he doesn't handle he does the those characters, the popular ones, that well. That's not true. Just because you guys sweat around baseball bats and balls. Uh, Moneyball was a very popular story. Everybody knew about it. Facebook, kind of the biggest social media platform, so you can pass it off as an app. But Obama and him able to uh, dissect that character's uh, him getting elected, dealing with backlash over what he's doing and the uh, the the seizing of Bin Laden would be absolutely incredible. No one wants to watch John Edwards sleep with other women with, and he's not even that great of a talker. And you're going to put dialogue into John Edwards' mouth like that's great. You think Sorkin is great with dialogue? I can't wait to hear John Edwards talk for two hours of a movie about oh i fucked this woman because uh, my wife has cancer like that's a terrible biopic what considering steve wozniak is an intelligent and well-spoken person steve jobs i think he can make anyone sound good and also when it comes to john edwards john edwards is not meant to be sold as a marquee person because look at look at the political films the last several years look at sorkin's last couple of years i'm sorry did anyone know who molly bloom was when molly's game came out listen when it comes to presidents aaron sorkin should not write a real life president let alone obama I'm sorry, Obama's the last person Sorkin needs to write for because, let's face it, he's not the person to tell Obama's story and Twitter will kill him for it. Twitter's already hating Aaron Sorkin for writing about fucking uh, Ricky Ricardo and being the Ricardos. I'm sorry, people don't like when Sorkin writes minorities. He doesn't particularly do it very well. When it comes, even in Trial Chicago 7, when it comes to what Sorkin is best at, John Edwards fits the bill about telling you stories of political intrigue and telling you about election campaigns and all the stuff of inside like that. It's I'm sorry. I'm more interested in something like the Ides of March 
which is what John Edwards movie could totally be, could totally be like the Ides of March, could totally be like thing, things I have seen that I haven't seen Sorkin do yet, which I would love to see him do. When it comes to Obama, Obama's story, you want Zero Dark Thirty. I'm sorry, Mark Bull already did it. You want what? You want the election of 2008? We'll give it to you better with a character that I don't want to see Obama be the lead. I'd rather see him as a supporting character in that one. John Edwards is a better lead character in a minority part of that movie because Sorkin cannot write Obama at all, and I'll watch him get crucified for it, and I don't want that to happen. A couple of things. I think it's hilarious that Coho didn't know who Billy Bean, Steve Jobs, or Mark Zuckerberg were before he saw those movies. That's pretty cool. Um, Small, you said you said he wrote about people nobody knows. You're supposed to be muted right now, anyway. Um, Small, uh, Smaltzy, again, you have Bin Laden, you have Sandy Hook, you have the, the passing of the uh, Medical Care Act, uh, you have him battling the GOP the entire time of his presidency. You say there's no conflict. It's not going to be Smaltzy. You're going to have some real grit in this movie. Um, also, I just want to point out what you guys want to do in 2022 in the political atmosphere, you want to take a, a Democratic candidate and they're all his dirty laundry. You basically are telling Aaron Sorkin, hey, here, give Tucker Carlson a bunch of ammunition to use against the Democrats. When exaggeration and misinformation is being used against Democrats to destroy democracy in this country, I'm sorry for getting political, but that's where we're at, uh, we're going to give those people, they like, look at this Democrat, look what this guy did. And, you know, it's going to be on Fox News. It's going to be, they're, they're going to have a field day with this. And do you honestly think Aaron Sorkin is going to want to give them that material to use? I don't think so. What was the box office on Ides of March? I don't think it was a really big movie. Um, you put Bin Laden, or you put uh, you put uh, Obama on a on a on a marquee. It's going to sell a million tickets. Okay. Well, first of all, we're talking. This is not which Sorkin biopic will make the most money. So ultimately, that has nothing to do with anything. Also, I want to respond to the schmaltzy argument a little bit. What I mean is that Obama. Sorkin's Obama is not going to be a flawed character whatsoever. Sorkin doesn't really write for movies flawed character or non-flawed characters very well. He always makes his main characters for the last every movie since American President. They've always been incredibly flawed, complex characters who have these kind of moral quandaries. You don't really get that with Obama. You're saying uh, really all you're saying is like, oh yes, just. Give us a recap of everything we already know about the Obama presidency and just make it sound kind of nice for a movie and that's it. Ultimately, with John Edwards, you're actually going to get some moral quandaries. You're going to get some interesting things. You're saying, ah, people aren't going to want to go to this. Well, I don't think people necessarily said, oh, yes, we really want to go to a Molly Bloom movie. No, but ultimately it's about how Sorkin does it and it's about the marketing. It's about all that. So don't just say, ah, people aren't going to want to say that. That's not the argument of what's actually a good or bad bad biopic. John Edwards is going to be a fascinating political moral thing. And to hit on your uh, democratic point a little bit on the Aaron Dirty Laundry, I think we should be telling the truth about all politicians. You don't think that we should be telling what happened to every politician. Ultimately, we need what we need more in the world is bipartisanship. Look at the front runner. Bipartisanship worked for the front runner. Ultimately, I think that's what's I think that's what's going to happen uh, with uh, John Edwards' movie. 
elect Boatman running 2037. I don't know. Listen, here's the viewpoint on it. I just heard in 2022 that Aaron Sorkin can't do minority characters, can't handle minority characters. We need the token white guy of John Edwards to do because Obama's not an interesting character. I also think that you, oh. you get to use you get to use Obama in your movie. Guess what? We get to use when he doesn't have Congress behind him at all. And those different characters that come up, the Mitch McConnells, the Lindsey Grants, all these characters under Sorkin's writing makes our movie way more interesting where he has to meet with people and the opposing threats of him. He has to, you're under, you're Zero's Dark 30. I'm sorry, last time I checked, Bin Laden, uh, Obama did not grab a machine gun and go into Bin Laden. That's not what happens. Like, didn't go in and catch Obama. It's the sidelines of when to take him and where to go. And that inside the bunker, when that stuff happens, Sorkin would be able to absolutely kill that that speech you're painting this picture of a character that john edwards is this the great inner he has all his scandals are already out there i don't need to hear about how he cheated on his wife in the third time instead of the second time like you're painting this picture i'm glad you want to do bipartisan talk about one of the most polarizing presidents either you liked him you hated him but at the end of the day the man that had the most class behind being the president and you're saying speechy. Well, guess what? It's in the hands and the dialogue of Obama, of Sorkin. I'll take those all day long. Obama is not the most bipolar or um, polarizing. When you look at Obama, he had one of the highest like approval rates of any president in the history of the office. So what's your conflict? Either you have to create conflict for Obama, which will get you crucified, or you have to show how he's a Capra-esque, beautiful, perfect figure, which he wasn't necessarily either. So you can't make a great movie out of Obama. Also, if you want to go, oh, his scandals are all out there, I have a giant book back there about Barack Obama's day-to-day. -day. So we don't have to go, because we don't have to make an Obama movie, because I could read that giant book if I want to. So at the end of the day, I would rather want the, I want the movie that shows me about politics and what it's like to run an election with John Edwards and have all the different scandals come out or the different or and the interesting different points of an election come out. Because let's be honest, I don't give a shit about the day to day of the president. I don't. The things are when it comes to the actual factual day to day, it's a boring movie. It makes no sense when it comes to elections. That's where the hard hitting stuff is. And Obama's election is more about John Edwards than it is Obama. Obama's own election is more about everyone else. He's the least interesting character in his own election. Therefore, you can't make a great movie around Obama. And I don't want Sorkin writing it anyway, because look at the trial of Chicago 7. The worst part of it is the stuff with Bobby Seale. That's the worst part of that movie. He butchers that. So I don't need him to butcher Obama and ruin that for everyone else. When it comes in a large, in a large form, I'd rather see John Edwards get a story told that's more interesting. You say you uh, you're, you're proven art. You saying you only know the election from the uh, yeah. viewpoint of John, of John McCain of all that stuff because we'll learn more about it now. We'll learn about Barack's side of it. We'll get his side. We're not going to get a we're not going to get a Capra s character. We're going to get a, a character. But we're going to see the grit and the determination and the hardness of the side. He had while he was president, he had to keep that face on. He had to keep a positive face. A lot of other uh, Democratic. Uh, uh, politicians had to do his dirty work, but he always had to take the high road. And we never got to see that grit and that determination and that fighting spirit of him behind closed doors. That's what this movie is going to introduce to. We're going to see a whole new side of Barack Obama. We're going to see a whole different uh, aspect of his campaign, of different parts of his campaign. Uh, and, you know, we're going to see a Barack Obama we haven't seen and a, a, a Barack Obama people actually care about as opposed to John Edwards, who was a uh, got his 50 minutes of fame. No one even knows who John Edwards is anymore. Less, fewer people know John Edwards than they know who uh, Steve Jobs were. So if we can't make movies about people who don't know, uh, that, that takes it out. But um, yeah, Obama's the way to go. Obama, what, people want an Obama movie. They want to know about him. Easy choice.
Okay, we're gonna stop it right there. Um, this is great. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to start with Cody. Um, Cody, you're gonna be closing um, for your debate. Sucks, Cody. You have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Since Coho has a book back there, then Moneyball didn't need to be made either, or Molly's game need to be made. Of course, books are out there, and you get to learn different things about a character. I want to be inside the presidential office. You want to talk about bipartisan? I want to be inside the White House and learn how the day-to-day with Obama goes. And I think that's what we need in an Obama movie. You're trying to bring John Edwards back into the limelight, which is a really weird thing for a lot of people to see. Um, he was a terrible person. No one really remembers who he was. I had to look him up when it happened. You're saying that makes an interesting character. No, that makes an interesting like uh, like documentary about the election, but I don't need to see Sorkin's writing on a terrible body. I think somebody has the chops to bring a lot of, pres- a lot of presidential players that are in politics still to this day and bring them into our movie with obama and having to deal with that you're saying he didn't have any like hardship he literally didn't have the congress for half of his presidency he couldn't get anything passed he got supreme court justices thrown out i want to see the backstory time okay uh i believe boatman is closing for this right yep okay boatman you have one minute when you start talking I just want to address Kirk's point for a second. Kirk talked about, oh, we'll get, you know, the behind the closed doors of the Obama administration. Well, the last, I remember, Sorkin did a movie where the whole point was, yes, we know the public persona of a character, but then here's what they're like behind closed doors. It was called Being the Ricardos, and everyone hated it because ultimately Sorkin doesn't do that very well. Sorkin's great with showing, with taking a figure we already know and just enhancing that type, and that's what he can do with John Edwards. Ultimately, with Obama, it's going to just be, oh, yes, doing the greatest hits of the Obama administration, and ultimately that's what it's going to be, because Sorkin's not going to be willing to really go too hard as Obama, especially in this day and age. It's going to be very soft if he does an Obama movie, whereas in our John Edwards movie, we can still have him give the great Obama speech towards the end of it to kind of bring that hope towards the end, but still keep that intrigue uh, that we need for Edwards. Okay. Um, let's bring in everybody. Boom, boom. I'm going to go there. You're going to go there. And then we're good to go. Okay. Um, okay. Brian. Your vote didn't count last time. Is this going to be another clean sweep? Or are we uh, in disagreement? Let's find out. Brian, you get to kick it off. I'm going to be honest. Don't want to see either of these movies. Uh, <laughs> neither of them really really uh, uh, appeal to me much in their, in their picks. But I think that both teams were making points. But then the, I think in both sides were making very good takedowns of everything the other people said. Um, I think the thing that swayed me in the end... Um, I, I did vote for Apple Teenies and Merlot. Um, I think that there were two things they said that really made it for me is one, uh, that with Obama, especially because we do know so much about him because he was a public figure, it's going to be greatest hits. And also it is probably going to be kind of soft. Um, the other thing is something I think it was Coho said pretty early on was that, uh, in this day and age, whether you like it or not, whether we like that, this is the atmosphere. He's not the person to tell Obama's story. People would crucify him for that, so this movie would not get made with him right now. 
Brooklyn. All right. Three things. One, Cody mentioned that Bowman would be eligible to for the election in 2037. I believe by your own U.S. rules, I think it's 2048. Uh, second of all, uh, there will be, no be no slander of Molly's game. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'm going with, um, with Appletini and, Mer- and Merlot. Um, I think they just kind of they were they hit, hit the ground running with their with their premise. How they're able to utilize Obama as like this kind of like cam, like kind of cameo with side piece. Um, I appreciate your debate sucks. They 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 swung for the fences for a couple of times, um, but they just had some big old whiffs uh, coming out. Okay, uh, this is the first split. I actually went with your debate sucks. I liked their pitch of um, looking at the greatest hits of Obama throughout this, and that. Um, Nobody in a time times like these wants to see a movie that's gonna like bring up a, a lot of <laughs> really gross shit. Um, but I also appreciated uh, what Appletini's and Merlot uh, was doing. I I just I thought the closings um, was a little bit stronger on debate sucks side, but overall I thought this was uh, in in ever in any multiverse I've been in, this was one of the better debates that. Uh, I've seen this is a great one. So um, I, I want to make it clear. I am the person who wants to see the Sorkin Obama movie. Uh, they pitched the movie I want to see. As a, as a Canadian, Shut the I fuck up. listen to American politics for nine minutes. Not a fun time. Shut the fuck up. Okay. So we are going to move on um, to the final uh, prep round question. Uh, so if Apple Teenies and Merlot hits this, they will be the winners and they will go on to play for the title. If uh, your debate sucks, wins this question we will be moving on to the speed round question uh so the question was drafted by your debate sucks in the category of star wars which star wars scene from the original or prequel trilogy has the worst acting performance so uh your openings will have to be taken by kirk and boatman on this one so kirk you are going to kick us off with this one. You have one minute when you start talking. Uh, there are a lot of examples you can use here, um, but I think there's one actor in Star Wars who was just completely out of his element, completely out of his depth, um, completely unprepared for the role he was given, uh, and that's Jake Lloyd. Uh, and um, of, through no fault of his own, the guy was a child, um, shouldn't take the abuse he did, sure, but um, regardless, his performance was terrible. Um, and no greater uh, example of that is the, uh, I was wondering, what are midichlorians? Uh, this, the, the speech is just stunted. Um, it's like I said, it sounds unprepared. It sounds like he may not even be reading from the script itself. He might be going off because he can't memorize his lines. Um, there's a lot of bad things going on in this scene. Um, and like I said, he's completely out of his element. It's a horribly performed scene. And it, and it ruins... Um, what became one of the like staple myth- mythological points of Star Wars. Um, it was introduced here, and um, it was just done terribly. Uh, worst performance in the first two trilogies. Okay. Uh, so we're going to move over to Boatman. Boatman, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Okay, uh, we are going uh, with... Hayden Christensen's delivery of I'm haunted by the kiss that you never gave me in that whole scene. 
ultimately, let's look at what that scene is supposed to do. That scene is supposed to convey that Anakin is, A, in love with Padme and in pain that he seemingly can't be with her in that situation. Ultimately, Hayden Christensen can't sell either of those emotions. Ultimately, he doesn't sound like he's, you know, sad or in regret. He sounds like he's constipated, maybe, and, like, monotone kind of annoyed, but he doesn't actually sound hurt like a tortured lover. He sounds kind of creepy. If we're talking about the romance angle, heck no. There is nothing remotely in love about any of his emotions. I, he sounds like a robot who doesn't know what love is, like Hathaway. Time. Okay. Uh, so we will bring in the other players. All right, guys. You will have uh, your time for the freeform debate now. We are going to kick this off with uh, Cody. Yes. So, mm-hmm. Cody, you get started. Have fun. Um, so when this question came up, I wanted one person to choose this, and I'm so glad it was fucking you. I could put Denzel Washington, Daniel Day-Lewis, Marlon Brando, Leonardo DiCaprio, or anybody in this role, and no one reads this line of dialogue with any sense or makes sense. The, the problem with your scene is the writing. This is one of the worst written things in Star Wars history. It doesn't matter who's performing it. You could have given it to, like, uh, Grand Marth Tarkin, and it would have been sounding like a total fucking mess of a scene. You don't get any of those emotions because it's not written that way. We set up an entire mythology from Star Wars, from Jake Lloyd stumbling through his lines and not being able to figure out what is and what's not. And I don't want to hear the argument that he is a kid actor and he shouldn't have been there. There's a millions of kids actors that are really good. That kid was out of his element and didn't. And George Lucas gave him the worst word to use apparently in that screen, but it set up something more. Hayden Christensen just acted like, I'm going to be honest, acted like Luke Skywalker, a whiny little punk kid throughout the entire thing. And he did what the best he could with the fucking words he was given. Welcome to all of Star Wars. There's no such thing as good dialogue when George Lucas writes it. Your dialogue's awful, too. Jake Lloyd's in the exact same situation, so let's throw all the writing arguments out the window, because none of it holds any water. None of it holds any water, because guess what? The midichlorians thing is also a terribly written exposition dump, which there's millions of. There's millions of exposition dumps in The Phantom Menace alone. That one's not even the worst one in your movie. Jake Lloyd is fine. He's an okay kid actor. He sounds like a child saying, oh, I'm a kid in class that wants to know more, which is exactly what that tor- horribly designed scene is. He is fine. Hayden Christensen sounds rapey. I'm sorry, he does. He sounds super creepy and super off and sounds like a serial killer in a hot sauna trying to convince someone he's in love with them. And I'm sorry if we're arguing performance like we are. Hayden Christensen's performance of that scene is awful. And you can tell me anyone reads it and it's that bad. I'm sorry, Denzel Washington's the greatest actor alive. I don't think you've ever seen a Denzel performance because he would have won an Oscar for it, Cody. Would have won an Oscar for it. Um, Boatman says that uh, Hayden Christian plays Anakin as a ro- robot who doesn't know what love is. I'd argue that's pretty much what he is. Ten years old, he's taken away from his family and put into a sexist, loveless magic cult. This kid does not. Ha- this is a horny teenager who does not know how to deal with those emotions. That's exactly how. That that, that 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 this is close to what he would do. This is how he would respond. He doesn't know how to talk to a woman. He has, he's never probably, probably the first time he's been alone in a room with a girl before. So yeah, he's not going to know. He's selling awkward. He's selling. I don't know. I don't know how to feel this way. I don't know what to do. He's selling. He's supposed to sound creepy. He's Darth Vader. He's supposed to sound that way. 
uh, Jake Lloyd is a literally in real life a confused kid who doesn't know what's going on, and he can't sell confused kid who doesn't know what's going on. Okay, so your your point about Anakin Skywalker ultimately is no, he does not sound like he is uh, awkward. Like he does not sound like he doesn't know. Uh, or he sounds like he doesn't know what love is, and that's not the point of the character. Ultimately, the point is that this character is in love, and that's the thing. Is it's he's in love, but he's also tortured. Ultimately, you can say, oh, he hasn't experienced that before, and that's fair. But he's still feeling it for Padme. There should at least be a twinge of it. I understand you're saying, oh, he's supposed to be selling awkward, and that's fair. You can say that he's selling awkward, but he's not selling awkward. He's selling constipated and like just emotionless not necessarily awkward and uncomfortable he doesn't feel uncomfortable in that moment he it feels completely off it doesn't feel what it's supposed to be feeling which is again there are two basic emotions for your scene that you're supposed to be feeling on the denzel argument ultimately denzel maybe wouldn't give the perfect delivery of that line but ultimately you could say that he would at least give you romance and pain which is not what Hayden Christensen gives us. And that's the problem. Uh, thank you so much for clearing up the Denzel Washington, the greatest actor to live, and he wouldn't be able to deliver the line in the greatest way possible. Thank you so much for that. Uh, basically, my uh, heart is beating. I'm hoping that your kiss now will become a scar. You're inside my soul, and it's tormenting me. By the way, the woman's way older. You'll get this moment one day when you're in a room with a woman by yourself. He gets panicky. He gets swirly. You start sweating in places. He's trying to fumble through the lines as best as he can, and... I would stumble through those lines as well. You know what? We'll save the argument right here. If you want to save the writing, at least my shit is shorter. And he can't deliver the short line. Your guy has to lead the, read an entire paragraph by George Lucas talking about how he's haunted by this kiss and blah, blah, blah. He's in this mess and he can't do anything. You're, you're, you guys are painting the picture and trying to use the, oh, you never seen a Denzel Washington. Guess what? Your greatest hits won't work here at the end of the day. My thing is your guy doesn't matter who's reading your line. It is bad. It's a bad line. It is not a bad acting job because at the end of the day, Anakin is out fine actor at the end of the day he does what he's supposed to do it is handed him with this terrible line and he's haunted by this exact scene because it ruins the rest of it for him. it's it's not because at the end of the day he's not acting the emotion he's supposed to you could say oh he's awkward and stilted he's not though he's literally smoothly going through these lines without an ounce of pain and that's the thing you say oh he's supposed to be awkward and doesn't know how to love he is literally the whole point of that character is that he loves too much and he can't show that as an actor that makes it a bad performance and you're sitting here going oh this kid who has to say what are midichlorians is the worst performance i'm sorry he says the line what are midichlorians i that's not a bad line and that makes ours worse because ours is a major crux in the history of the character major crux he's confessing his love to padme who he's supposed to love and by loving her Turns him to the dark side. So at the end of the day, our part, more important than yours, at the end of the day, ruins Star Wars and a character way more because of his dialogue and performance. But it comes to your guys' performance. Jake Lloyd says, when I'm in a Glorians, like a kid. I'm sorry. It's not a bad performance. He's nine. Who gives a shit? His performance is fine. You're harping on a child who means nothing to the series. Okay. 
Um, Metachlorians, I think, ruined Star Wars War a little bit. And there's several scenes of confessed love. So you're acting like this is like the crux like of their relationship. There's several scenes where that love gets confessed. So this isn't the only moment there. Like I said, you, you keep saying, oh, he doesn't know how to express it. He's awkward. Yeah, that is how he's supposed to do He's you, you get the pain. You definitely get the pain in that reading. Um, also, one thing I want to point out, this is confirmed. See, uh, George Lucas did say in a very George Lucas way um, that with this scene, he edited and used CGI where there was different, he, he would take different takes and mash them together. So we don't even know what performance we're getting from Hayden Christensen here. It's it's a Frankenstein's monster. It's a, so many things in post beyond his control. We don't know what he's reacting to. We don't know what it is. So it's not the, the, the badness you're seeing. We can't even blame it. It's, it's post-production, which you're seeing there. It's not just it's not just what he's doing there. It's not it's not his effort. It's post-production that screwed a lot of that up. You're saying you can't tell what he's reacting to in any given moment. That's the whole point of making it a know. bad performance. I said you don't know. You don't know I said you don't what know. he's reacting to in a given moment, then that's a bad performance. You can't tell what is actually going on with the character. That's why it's a bad performance. It's because he's not conveying anything. It's not conveying awkwardness. If he's conveying awkwardness, he would be doing an impression of Caleb Boatman. That's not what he's doing. He's ultimately, he's conveying nothing. He is conveying no feeling except just kind of a creepy eeriness. And that's it. It is nothing. He's not conveying any emotion he is supposed to be conveying. Listen, at the end, you're saying, you're saying that he's a nine-year-old kid and he does it. The end of the day is the worst acting scene in Star Wars. He has it. He has the scene that sets up so many bad things for Star Wars to go for it, and it starts with such a fumbling of a line. The thing is, with your character and your delivery, is the lines that he is given. I don't care what he's reacting to or what he has to do. It doesn't matter who you are. You can't deliver those lines with any real emotion whatsoever because at the end of the day, they are so convoluted and messy. Haunted by this kiss? The scar, like, come on. Hayden does the best thing he can with who he has in front of him. Natalie Portman is, he's finding love for the very first time. He's stumbling through it, and he doesn't sound the most poetic. Well, guess what, guys? When you're in front of a woman and you're really in love with her, you won't be able to say know what to say. And that's what ends up happening. And he does a perfect job with relaying that to the audience. And now you're just making fun because the lines are so bad. It's not because of his performance. Here, here's your issue that you keep bringing up. As you're saying, Jake Lloyd's delivery of this one line is bad. But you're mad at what the writing of the series is going forward out of that line. Your issue is not with Jake Lloyd or his performance. And you keep harping on our writing. You're mad about your writing and your entire argument is that you your writing ruins Star Wars. That's what you're mad about. You don't give a shit about this kid saying, midichlorians, midichlorians. Who gives a shit? He's nine. I'm sorry. A kid, every child actor ever is going to fumble that line because, like you said, George Lucas can't write anything. And when it comes to ours, when it comes to ours, Hayden Christensen is working his his way through this in an awful manner awful manner and you admitted it several different ways and tried to come up with excuses cgi post-production whatever when it comes down to it hank christian has one job and that is to sound and sell like you are in love with padme and he couldn't even do that much your kid said one line of dialogue time gonna call it there uh okay so the closers are cody and coho yeah yes okay so coho we're gonna start with you um you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking 
once again, when the argument is what is the worst performance in a scene, he picked the kid who says the line at the start of the scene that Qui-Gon Jinn then goes on and rambles through all sorts of more midichlorian jargon. At the end of the day, that scene, whatever it may be, the performance of Jake Lloyd is the least of that scene's issues. When it comes to our scene, our scene, long as it may be, you can argue the writing's bad, you can argue all sorts of things. At the end of the day, that scene is supposed to show you that Hayden Christensen is, as Anakin Skywalker, is in love with a woman that he's not supposed to be in love with and will go on to become a Sith Lord because he loves too much, which they've set up already, is the problem with Jedi. You can't love. You can't be in love and love and all these deep, dark, intense emotions will lead to the dark side. And in this one scene, he doesn't do any of it. In this one scene, all Hayden Christensen can show me is that he is so disinterested in being in Star Wars that I wish he would have been, if you're using CGI, why didn't you just CGI Hayden Christensen out of the movie and someone else to make at least a more comparable and watchable performance? At the end of the day, your performance is not the worst because it's just the introduction to a scene that is way worse than Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd, straight from the record. Uh, okay, so we will bring in Cody. At the end the of the day. At the end of the day. I just want to make sure everybody knows at the end of the day. Just real quick. Sorry. Anakin Skywalker is correct. Thank you so much for this. He's in the Jedi Order, and he basically was told not to love and not to do anything. And now he's got this moment, and he's fighting with these feelings of being a Jedi and being with the girl he loves, and he can't figure out which way to go about it. He does it in the best way he can. He delivers the blend in the best way he possibly can. You're telling me that a kid actor can't fumble. Uh, Jacob Tremblay, Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin has an Oscar. Any kid actor could have done that role. They picked the kid off the side of the street and said, hey, I think you could be Darth Vader one day. Brought him on set, made him read a line, stumbled through it. He got hated for the rest of the community. I don't hate that he's nine years old. I hate that he can't say lines and can't do it in the correct way. There's kid actors that can act all day. Hayden Christensen is battling with the emotions of trying to be a good Jedi and move on in with his with his path and what he thinks is right. But soon he knows the dark side's pulling on him. He's slaughtering people in dreams. He's battling with this, and he has this hot woman sitting next to him, and he wants to say he loves her so much, and he has a scar that's built from a kiss. He does the best he can with the line. Ty, he's got this hot woman next to him. Uh, that's funny. Okay. Also, like 15 years older. I'm just gonna say that. Uh, yeah, PTA should have directed Star Wars. Just saying. Oh what a thought. God, what a thought. All right. Uh, I have my, <laughs> I have my vote. Oh. All right, I'm going first. I thought this was good. I let this one go on for 10 minutes. Uh, because I want, I, I kept needing, I wanted to hear more. The last one went on for ten minutes too. Um, so the first one you guys started so well it was like seven minutes. I was like, great, and then everything else has been long. Um, but I went with YDS. Um, I thought that it was really smart to basically explain what the character of Anakin is going through. At the time of the scene, you talk about the bad dialogue, but the actual uh, physical uh, emotions or whatever, the way that they were able to acknowledge that and that, that that worked for me really well. And I thought there wasn't much takedown of Jake Lloyd other than the fact that he's a kid. He's a kid. You got some bad dialogue, too, but he's a kid. That's like all I heard about what was bad about uh, Jake uh, or that what was... Uh, what was the reasoning why Jake Lloyd should be exempt from this. So that didn't really work for me. So um, 
Brian, you get to go next. Uh, well, in the last one, I said that, you know, I didn't really love either argument and neither one appealed to me. Uh, these two were the two correct choices. Let me just say that up front. <laughs> these were the two you should have chosen. Um, it's another one of those that comes down really close. Um, I actually went the other way, went with Apple TVs and Merlot. Um, it seemed like 90% of the argument was spent talking about Anakin. Not a whole lot of time was spent pro or con, it seemed to me, on Jake Lloyd's. Um, so I just, I think, gave uh, Apple TVs and Merlot a little more time to at least make their case for theirs, um, especially in the in the way that, uh, you know, the Phantom Menace scene, you know, he says his line of dialogue, but it's the rest of the scene as well that kind of is part of what's wrong with that. Whereas theirs, it wasn't necessarily what he was saying that was a problem. It was the fact that Hayden couldn't sell any of the pain or the love or anything. All right, Brooklyn, you need to decide this. Are we moving on to the bonus or are we uh, sending a team to the finals or to the title match? Um, no, uh, I won't. Um, I won't prolong this. Any, I won't prolong it. Uh, basically, everything that Tim said, I agree with. Uh, your debate sucks. Made a, made some very damn tasty Kool Aid. Uh, they were able to give context uh, to that scene. Um, and wow. then, yeah, like, 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 yeah. There was the Jake, Jake Lloyd as a kid. Um, but yeah. Damn, I was not expecting that when you said uh, you're not going to prolong it. Uh, okay, so what this means is we are moving on to the bonus round. Here's how this is going to work. Uh, I have a question that I randomized from the worlds of Warzone and Fandom. I randomized which uh, side of Fanzone this is going to come from, and then I randomized a category, uh, and then I came up with a question for said category. So how this is going to work um, is I'm going to say the question out loud. Then I'm going to repeat the question, and then we are going to cut so you guys don't have to see all the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, and the teams will be able to uh, give me the um, what their choice is. They're going to have to choose who wants to open their argument for 45 seconds. We're going to give you 45 seconds for an opening, so one player will take that. The other player will then do an opening, and then the other player will get a 30-second closing, 30-second closing. Make sense, guys? Okay, so your question is coming from the world of Warzone, which I'm sure most of you guys are happy about. No, maybe not. Okay. Uh, it is the category of action-adventure. And your question is, what action-adventure film should receive a legacy sequel? So again, what action-adventure film should receive a legacy sequel? All right, we're back from being behind the scenes, getting prepped for the speed round. Uh, the movie's chosen. Uh, your debate sucks. What did you guys choose? Kill Bill. Kill and uh, Apple Teenies and Merlot. Uh, War Games. Okay, so who is going to be taking the opening for uh, your debate sucks? Uh, I'll take the opening. Okay, and for Apple Teenies and Merlot? I will take the opening. Okay, so how this is going to work is Kirk will get 45 seconds, Boatman will get 45 seconds, then Cody will get 30 seconds, then Coho will get 30 seconds, and that will be it. Gentlemen, do you understand? Yes, sir. All right. This is for all the chimichangas, so let's see how it goes. Uh, Kirk, whenever you start talking, we will get going. So again, I'll just say the question one more time. What action-adventure movie should get a legacy sequel? Kirk, get us started.
the problem with legacy sequels usually is that there's nothing for the characters to do. You just, hey, let's see, let's bring these characters back and see what happens. It's usually bad. Uh, we have a build-in story with Kill Bill with Vernita Green's uh, daughter, uh, the bride and sister. Come, see, come look me up someday when you're ready to. Um, and that's the start of our movie. Uh, we bring her back. Uh, she's looking for revenge. Uh, maybe, you know, through some way they, they end up teaming up. She becomes a mentor or they fight. Maybe, you know, uh, uh, the bride's more of an anti-hero. Maybe they're going up against some uh, other character here. Uh, but it's a great story. Uh, Tarantino is into it. This is a story he's wanted to tell, same as Emma Thurman. Um, they would both be involved. You'd have the original creators of these uh, iconic characters and iconic sto stories that people want to have back and want to enjoy again. Um, it's the perfect setup. Uh, it's the movie that should be made. Okay. Boatman, you have 45 seconds when you start talking. War Games has a specific character who you can bring back and make way more interesting now with the changing of the technologies than that character is the system itself, right? You can have that system come back and change and evolve, especially with how video games themselves have evolved and be a little bit of a reflection on that. Ultimately, we can bring back Matthew Broderick's character because he's had the familiarity with this system. But ultimately, we can also kind of reflect on, oh, we were in the Cold War in the 80s. Well, we might kind of be in a Cold War type situation today, and you can play that out. Ultimately, with Tarantino, he's only going to make 10 movies, and ultimately, either you don't want Tarantino to come back for Kill Bill, or ultimately, you want to waste his last movie on this. Time. Cody, you have 30 seconds. I uh, wish the conversation was Tarantino's last movie. Listen, you're bringing Matthew Broderick back for a movie. His acting skills have diminished over the years, and everybody knows that. Here's the take on it. Your Pixels is your movie. The guy go to video games coming back, and that's what happened. Pixels was an absolute nightmare, and it was nostalgia fest. This is exactly what it would be. Tarantino's last movie to be Kill Bill Volume 3 would be a perfect end for the thing. A revenge story. Last time he saw, she saw her mother, she was dead on the street, and now she comes back for revenge against the bride. Perfect setup. And, a, yeah, it would be the perfect Time. end. Coho, 30 seconds. So what you want to do is you want to last Jedi kill Bill by making Kill Bill uh, Uma Thurman the bad guy. Uh, and I'm really not interested. I'm not interested in the bride being the villain that has to be hunted down and killed. I'd rather see her walk off in the sunset and have a happy ending. With War Games, Matthew Broderick's character is ultimately a supporting piece to a bunch of new characters who you can play with the idea of having to fight the computers and fight the system against a whole Cold War era. I think there's a lot more... Uh, room for a story that I think is interesting. Kill Bill 3 would be a retread of Kill Bill 1 and 2. Just put a new fresh face on it with Kill Bill with uh, with the Kill Bill bride being the villain. I don't want that. Time. Okay. Oh, fucking kill me. Um, okay. God We're running up to the length of Kill Bill. Um, yeah, for real. That okay. Brooklyn, your vote didn't count last time. Where would you have gone? Or where right. are you going this time? Sorry. This was freaking tough. Um, yeah, I probably could have went. This is like fifty one forty nine. Um, I went with AN because I think it ultimately came down to the openings, and I think um, and I think Boatman did a better job of just selling war games why it would work as a legacy and using like the modern like 
the modern society aspect of it, I think was really it was really good. Uh, this actually came down to the closers for me, and I thought Cody did a good job of taking down Boatman's like with the pixels and with the uh, um, with the I'm totally losing my train of thought with how Tar- we're not talking about like what should Tarantino's last movie be, but he did say how great of a chapter it would be for Tarantino to close out his career with Kill Bill, uh, but it's not necessary. We're talking about what the what movie should get the sequel, and they pitched a better cohesive story overall for me. They gave me a story of what we could get. All I got out of the War Games story was, yeah, we're going to have updated visual effects. There's going to be some new characters, but that's it. So I went with YDK. Uh, so Brian, you are going to uh, decide this one. Who's going on to play for the title against that team that I totally remember the name of. Um, House of Pain or something? House, House of Pain. House, House of, of Night Pain. Pain? Yeah, there you go. Muted. Brian is muted. Ooh. I'm the one that did it. Oh. I, I did say I did say YDK, and it's not YDK. Why YDS? Um, I, I think I think uh, uh, Boltman especially started off strong talking about war games. Um, talking about how you know it could be the system itself and how it's evolved and something you know what's changed in the several decades since then and how it again gives you a reason to update it in a new movie. Um, I didn't think that uh, the, the pixels argument came into play because I don't see how that really even applies. I went without Platinum Merlot. Which means your winners going on to play for the titles Apple Teenies and Merlot. So we are going to start today uh, our post-match uh, by talking to um, your debate sucks. Guys, great performance in the contender match. Um really strong how are you guys feeling about the way you played today yeah i'm feeling fine um there are some things that you know we could have done differently i think um uh co-host shocked face you know you know he does that all the time i I can't wait to actually see when he when actually is surprised for once um yeah speed rounds are never my thing I hate speed rounds. I will always hate speed rounds. Um, I was up a matchup five one, like four one at one point, and then uh, lost four straight speed rounds. Uh, it happens. Uh, so my thing is, I think we did the best we could. Uh, again, I think you know, I can always say, I think the judging had it wrong, but you know, I'm the one debating on the side. So overall, um, I think the pixels argument does make sense, um, but overall. Uh, uh, great, uh, great job for them. Uh, they they used a bunch of buzz, buzzwords and entertained the masses. But and at the end of the day, we just didn't have what it t- takes to win this uh, match. So, yeah, Kirk. Yeah, um, I mean, it's we're working the bugs out um, after how many matches we've had. Uh, still working yeah. the bugs out a little bit, but um, we'll get there. Uh, we may have to travel to a different universe, but I think we could take. They're the here. same person too. If we're being honest with ourselves, me and Kirk may be grumpy, but those two literally have the same taste on everything now. Like they can't have different opinions on anything anymore. They like I, I they could be dating. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I'm not spreading a rumor in this multiverse, but I'm pretty sure they're engaged. So I'm happy for them. Um, can't wait to come to the wedding. No, and but honestly, by the way. Purple hair and purple glasses, awful combination. Just throwing it out there for it doesn't matter which universe we're in, please. No, I was gonna say honestly though, I think there are certain things that when we did them as soon as they happen, I'm like, oh, we'll do it different next time. So yeah. um, we'll be ready. Awesome. 
Well, guys, uh, congrats on uh, making it this far. You did great in the match today. We'll see you in the next one uh, later this year. Let's bring in the winners today, Apple Teenies and Merlot. Gentlemen, uh, you did really great. I have a couple questions for you. Uh, question number one, you are going on to play House of Night Pain. Yeah. Uh, so what is what are you guys thinking about going up against Nico and Ryan? And also, can you confirm the rumors? Are you engaged? First and foremost, I want to start there. Our wedding date is actually August 31st, and Cody was going to be my best man, but because of those comments, fuck him. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to ask Jake Meltzer to be my best man now, bitch. Now Jake Meltzer beat you on the list because he's my second best friend behind you. Uh, when it comes down to this, I've never been more happy to win I with my fiance. I've never been more happy to win with my fiance. We're going to win a title together and start a life together, and I'm so excited. Uh, but on top of that, uh, you know... Uh, who, who the fuck's on House of Night Pain again? Uh, Nico, I'm yeah. very proud of Nico's advancement to NXT to being the commissioner. Um, I know that broken like toe incident in his first match was not great, but to find your way back to your home and debate, I'm so excited to play you in it. Um, and Ryan, one of the most conservative speakers I've ever seen. He knows how to like manage his time and get his barbs in there. Very excited to face him. He's going to be a great opponent. If there's one thing I've said about Ryan Payne, it's that that guy knows when to stop talking. Ultimately, like Ryan Payne, the one thing that we have to prepare is we know Ryan Payne's classic argument, right? He always says, my my dad agrees with me. My uncle agrees with me. My it's mom hard to agrees done. with me. That's, that's what he does. So I just have to get all my relatives together, make sure they agree with me, and I think we're golden. Now you can say your husband agrees with you, and there you go. Absolutely. We actually will win this fight. Absolutely. Well, guys... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the title match. We will see that at uh, the Coco Bongo at the Multiplex 7. Yes. Which is coming out later this year. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's get final thoughts uh, from let's get final thoughts from Brooklyn. Brooklyn, what do you think? Uh, coming soon from Happy Madison Pictures. <clears throat> I now pronounce you, excuse me, coming soon from Happy Madison Pictures. I now pronounce you Caleb and Caleb. Uh, it's going to be a great film. Uh, but no, this was, this was like fun. Oh yeah, um, but no, uh, it was it was fun to see four uh, four debaters clash um, like we have many times before, um, and to see how they kind of balance out. And it was uh, and yeah, fair fight, I would say. Yeah, Brian, final thoughts from you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a lot of fun. It's uh, you know, as I as it always is, it's tough to see uh, any of the teams lose the debate in the uh, speed round. Because, you know, it makes it difficult. You can't, you don't have time to like form a coherent argument with your partner. It's just kind of like, you got to hope they pick up on what you're putting down in the first section. So, you know, whoever lost there, it was going to be tough, but uh, had a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Fan Zone Debate Teams Edition. We will see you really soon with the title match, but also stick around. We got a lot more going on in singles. Uh, we got Nick Tuig is going to be taking on Brooklyn Vale right over there very soon. And Brian Michaels making his triumphant return against uh, none other than the aforementioned Jacoby Bancroft. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. So uh, we will see you guys real soon with the next matches. Until then, have a good one. Go. Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.